assume that turn-ons are just in a partner context. And the reality is that we can be turned on by ourselves. We can be turned on by the world around us and then engage in solo sexual experiences. So you don't have to have a partner. You don't have to be thinking about, you know, interpersonally, how am I engaging with people? It's just as much about how do you engage with the world around you? What makes you feel more sensually connected? Welcome to Honey Do Me, a podcast that goes into the bedroom and beyond. Hosted by Emma Norman and Cass Anderson. Here at Honey Do Me, we don't have all the answers. So we chat with experts, educators, and badass changemakers to get them. We are here to remind our listeners and ourselves that what we're going through is normal. That we are worthy of love and pleasure. And that we are all in this together. So tell us, honey, how do you do you? How's your smoothie? It's so good. I and my partner have perfected smoothies. I swear to God, they're the fucking best thing in the world. Really, it's a a Liz Moody recipe that I've slightly adapted. Mm -hmm. She wrote Healthier Together. It's a really fucking good cookbook, and I just love her and her philosophy on everything. Wow. Yeah. Look at you, a bright shining star with your smoothie. I know. I am. I am. Am I better (laughs) Better than than everyone? you are yeah i have i have my hydro that i've left somewhere and you have a smoothie well i am who i am i am what i am that's a dr seuss quote Eh, i don't know (laughs) i go where i go (laughs) i go with the flow so what's new in your life hello hello Hello. welcome (laughs) to another week of honey do me (laughs) hello hello i'm doing good how are you i'm fine (laughs) i you know what's great about not having video with a podcast right now. I can't see what we look like. The <laughs> clothing that I'm wearing. <laughs> Emma's wearing what she wore to bed last night, and I have a towel on my head from getting out of the shower. <laughs> so this is my favorite part of this job. Yeah. This this <laughs> your lack of job. awareness of what I look like right now. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, so I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, but we're both happy to be here. Yeah. Tell me updates. Okay. So I do have a funny update of fun is silly goofy thing <laughs> fun is silly goofy uh let's see if i can get it out without laughing i hope it's as funny to everyone else as it is to me no one laughs <laughs> and not just <laughs> tmi okay so my partner and i were out running errands yesterday and it was a monday we're recording this on a tuesday it was a monday so the new crumble flavors were out uh-huh. and it's breakfast week this okay. week and those flavors mm-hmm we love crumble in this family. Crumble cookie. Honey Do Me yeah. loves crumble cookies. Uh-huh. Um, and so we went and we got all of the flavors. And then my partner wanted to go through like the Starbucks drive through because he saw a pumpkin thing. And he was like, that actually sounds really good. And I was like, just be basic. It's fine. <laughs> Nobody's judging. You don't have to justify it to me. Yes. Yeah. It's basic because it's good. Mm-hmm. And so we were going through the drive through and I was like giving him like to try the cookies um, I would like hand him one or hand him a piece of one. And he's like, oh my God, these are so good. And then he just kind of froze and he looked at me and he's like, oh my God, I have a boner right now. Oh my <laughs> From the cookies. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. And so I was like, like literally from the cookies. And he was like, yeah, they're so good. So if that's not a rave review for this week's crumble cookies, I don't know what was. They're like bonerific. what would be? Yeah. Oh the banana God. bread in particular. He gets a I hard think is on what for- got him there. <laughs> that is so much to know. Is that why you didn't bring out the crumble cookies last night? Yeah. You didn't want to get <laughs> just your partner too excited. <laughs> it was just going to be awkward for everyone. So I don't know what it was. Oh if it was God. the intimacy of the moment, if it was the novelty of a banana bread, of a fresh banana bread cookie. <laughs> but yeah, wow. it really got him there. Talk about trying new things it's and having new it be exciting. Yeah. Just go to crumble on breakfast week. <laughs> So you would say that that cookie was turn on. him on. <laughs> I would say that. Yes. Today on the podcast, we have Cassandra. Yes, Cassandra. Corrado. <laughs> it's not me. It's not you. <laughs> but she is wonderful and she is a sex educator. And we are talking about turn-ons, not cookies necessarily today. But we do talk about using senses. Mm-hmm. So like taste, smell, you know, you know what senses are. <laughs> you know. You know those five. <laughs> So, I mean, potentially cookies could be in there somewhere, but it's also so much more than that. It's how to discover what your turn-ons are. What if you're not getting turned on? What could be getting in the way of that? How to use your turn-ons both during solo play and with a partner. Mm -hmm. And of course, we answer those questions about how to bring it up because everyone Mm -hmm. asks how to start that conversation with a partner if like they did something that wasn't hot mm-hmm. and now you're not turned on. Exactly. How do I tell you that that sucked and now? And Cassandra gives such clear, mm-hmm. like specific answers, literally step-by-step step processes <laughs> yeah. to like work through these things. This is such mm-hmm. an amazing episode. You're going to be so turned on. You're going to be so <laughs> turned on. So we'll see ya. Hot mm-hmm. and heavy. Hot and heavy on the other side, side baby. Bye. <laughs> My name is Cassandra. I use she, her pronouns. And on Instagram, I'm feminist sex ed. So y'all might know me as that, but I am a person and my name is Cassandra. Uh, I work exclusively with college students and other adults to unlearn sexual shame and improve pleasure. But I also have a background as a victim advocate. So I bring my experience doing survivor support work into the sex ed work that I do. So I like to say, you know, I'm basically founded in increasing compassion and curiosity and just letting ourselves figure things out a little bit more easily. Oh, I love it. Very cool. Well, today we really want to get into turn-ons, turn-offs, what they are and how we find them in ourselves. So can we start by first defining what are turn-ons? Yeah. So turn-ons are basically all of the things that hit your sexual accelerator. So does it peak sexual interest in you? People tend to associate that with getting wet or getting an erection, but that's not actually like a one-to-one correlation of how turn-ons work. We can think about intellectual arousal and what it means to just feel like mentally drawn to somebody. We can think about a sense of safety and what it means to feel safe with somebody. We can think about the physiological things that we might experience, which can include wetness and erection and things like feeling nipples become erect or feeling like our pupils are getting bigger. There's so many different ways that we define turn-ons and there's not just one single type of them. Basically, anything that piques your sexual interest. That's a good umbrella term for it. (laughs) Is is there like a science behind our specific turn-ons? Like why do we have 
individualized turn-ons. Like something could turn me on that doesn't turn Cass on. I've tried. No, just kidding. Um, so like what's, what's the science behind our own turn-ons? You know, there isn't really good science on why some of us like some things and why some of us really hate that same thing. You know, there's, there's not an easy way to know, just like there's not an easy way to know why some of us have certain kinks or certain fetishes or certain turn offs, right? Some of it could be based in personal context. I had a partner who did this thing. So now anytime I see something like that, it just kind of brings back some memories and my body remembers. Uh, We could also think about the things that we are socialized to think uh, our turn-ons, right? Or to feel our turn-ons. So when we think about like a deeply gendered world, often we will think about, you know, like a V-neck shirt with like a little bit of chest hair for more masculine people or like ways that arm muscles and veins look on more masculine people. Then for more feminine people, we tend to think of things like very upright boobs and full lips, very styled in the face. And those are some of like the physical things that people will often identify as turn-ons, but really it can be anything. And there's no easy way to know what's going to be that thing for you until you find oh, hey, this is the thing for me. So are there, like, if you don't know what your turn-ons are then, what are some ways to start exploring that? So the thing that I always recommend is to not just focus on the sex of it all, but actually to focus on just what draws you to people in general or what makes you feel safe. So the feeling of, like, I can relax, I can, you know, soothe into my atmosphere – That's something to always look forward to because that means that, you know, your nervous system is saying, hey, pleasurable things can happen here. We're in an okay place. Mm -hmm. We can also also think about times when we feel really magnetized to something. So when are you feeling really drawn in? When do you feel like you can't stop looking at somebody? When do you feel like you can't turn away? We can think about what it feels like to feel really physically in sync with someone. So if you've ever gone with a friend to like a group workout class and you were like, oh, we killed it. Like we did an awesome job together. We were, I could tell we were here the whole time. Like we were really in sync. That sensation of physiological, like physiologically being in tune Mm -hmm. is something to say, oh, okay. I experienced that in a non-sexual context. Now let's try to explore all of these things in a sexual context. So you might then say, okay, I'm finding myself drawn towards these particular types of conversations. Can I find erotica about that thing? Or does it mean that I need some type of intellectual connection with somebody in order to feel sexual desire towards that person? Um, We could think about, okay, if body movement and getting my heart rate up is something that really helps me feel turned on, then we can say, maybe going out dancing is the thing that's going to do it for me. And that's going to lead me towards feeling more open to possible sexual connections and not just with partners, but also on our own, right? We tend to assume that turn-ons are just in a partnered context. And the reality is that we can be turned on by ourselves. We can be turned on by the world around us and then engage in solo sexual experiences. So you don't have to have a partner. You don't have to be thinking about, you know, interpersonally, how am I engaging with people? It's just as much about how do you engage with the world around you? What makes you feel more sensually connected with your body? And then explore that path a little bit more. Just take each thread a little bit further each time. 
That makes so much sense. It's like another opportunity to get to know yourself. And Mm -hmm. again and again, we learn that what happens inside the bedroom is so connected to what happens outside of it. Mm -hmm. So that makes total sense. And thank you. Yeah. I really like those examples too, because if you do get turned on going to the gym, like how do I then transport that to like sexually pump iron pump iron (laughs) like like going dancing that's such a cute Mm -hmm. idea and way to like turn it into something a little bit more proactive if you're trying to (laughs) satisfy yourself satisfy (laughs) you know and so I feel like those all work really well but then on the same coin how do you help your partner if maybe they don't know what turns them on and I know it, it sounds like it's a very like individual experience you know you need to really feel what makes your body come alive. But if they need a little bit of assistance, like how can you help your partner? Yeah. So there are a lot of reasons why we might feel disconnected from knowing what our turn-ons are. We could be taking SSRIs, for example, Mm -hmm. that make us just feel like a little disconnected from the body in general, right? They might make us feel psychologically a lot better, but we know that a lot of times people experience sexual challenges on antidepressants and anxiety medication. Uh, If someone's experienced sexual trauma, that could be something that makes them feel disconnected. So first of all, we have to understand that it's not a problem to solve. It's something that just says, hey, is this something that's important to connect to for you? Here's how I'm engaging with this. Here's how I'm reacting to this. And when I think about turn-ons, what I think about is feeling really connected with my body, feeling really connected with you, feeling like we're creating an experience together. So instead of saying, well, why don't you like me? Why aren't you attracted to me? Which is what a lot of people tend to do mm-hmm. when we we talk about people having arousal difficulties. Uh, say, how can we create opportunities for us to feel connected together and for you separately to feel connected to your body? And that might mean that we do kind of like a bucket list for our sexual experiences, right? Not saying, you know, we have to have all these amazing experiences before we die, but let's make this really full list of experiences that we can try. Think about all five of your senses and okay, what are five activities we can do to engage each of those? Let's see which ones help you feel most connected and which, you know, you can kind of take it or leave it. From there, you can then follow that same kind of logic. So, okay, I know that going for a hike and being out in nature is something that helps me feel really in tune with my breath. It helps me feel really good in my body. I feel strong. I can feel my blood pumping. Okay, so maybe that means that when we're thinking about creating an atmosphere that leads to desire, that lets us have space for desire, maybe we go for a walk together and we do some type of like kind of low impact thing. Or maybe that means that we set up our bedroom so that there's like nature white noise in the background and we kind of filter the light down a little bit. We bring in some of those components and experiment, play around with those things. The critical thing is that experimenting doesn't say, this has to be the winner. Experimenting just says, maybe it'll work. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. And if it doesn't, no big deal. We can try a new thing, right? It's not a values call. It's just, we'll try it and we'll try it for the experience of it. Are those same tips applicable for people in situations where either they or their partner are on SSRIs? Because that is something that we have had listeners ask us about, um, struggling to get turned on. So is that the same 
kind of solution to that situation? Yeah. So anytime we have like a medication side effect that is leading to arousal struggles, we have to be really just tuned into what is happening for us, right? Our medications can be life-saving and we don't want to necessarily wean wean off of them or transition medications. So instead say, before I started this medication, this is something that helped me feel really good and present, or this is something I remember from 10 years ago was a really great experience. It doesn't have to be something that's close by or in, you know, like temporal proximity for it to be a good thing for us. From there, then we can just say, okay, how can I expand that circle of sensation a little bit more? Now, for people who are on SSRIs in particular, one of the things that they might really struggle with is saying, I know that psychologically I'm turned on, physically things aren't patching up. Mm -hmm. So that might mean that you incorporate some toys and tools, right? So lube is everybody's best friend. Lube Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Um, You might use a vibrator. You might use a cock ring. You might change your definition of what counts as sex and expand it to include things that are sexually charged, but sensually engaging. And that gives you a much lower pressure situation to figure out what is going to work for everybody without saying, well, we have to get back to what your experience of sex and sexuality was like pre-SSRIs, pre-hormonal birth control, pre-trauma. Mm-hmm. Comparing ourselves to like that version is never going to be a great time. And so instead say, let's get to know where I am in this context now and do that with a lot of you know grace and compassion and giving myself space to figure out who I am today and what needs I have. So yes and no. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. So is using toys an example of a situation that would be sexually charged and centrally engaging? I believe that's what you said. Or can you give some examples of what like kind of redefining sex could look like? That could be reading erotica out loud to your partner. That could be writing your partner an erotic letter right? And talking about a fantasy you have. That could be doing a survey like the we should try it surveys together and then talking through your answers. It could be doing a massage, right? Getting some nice warm massage oil and you could be naked, you could be in underwear, you could be clothed and your partner could be partially dressed, you know, whatever feels right for you. We can think about things like watching porn together, right? Mm -hmm. So something that might bring in a sexual element and also helps you feel more in tune, again, with those five senses. I've never thought about writing a sexy letter, even though that's kind of like the the old-time version of sexting, but (laughs) I really like that. That's kind of fun. I'm going to write you one to see how it goes. Sexually charged pen pal. Yeah, just let me know if I'm doing well, and then I'll put it out into the world, if you don't mind. Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. 
Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code DEWME for 10% off. Um, And so... A while ago, you also mentioned turn-ons for like solo play as well. And so for me, I feel like I don't utilize what I know to be my turn-ons when I'm trying to masturbate. I will jump to porn usually to like get like jumpstart it because I feel a little silly, like setting a mood for myself or like tantalizing myself before I start (laughs) masturbating. So could you give us some tips on how to maybe use your own turn-ons to masturbate? Yeah. So this is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I just did a, um, somebody sent in a community poll question to my Instagram yesterday that was like, do you have a full setup for masturbation with like candles and music and like the whole thing? And most people said, no, they just get down to business. Right. And that's true for a lot of us. For many of us, we try to make masturbation like a really quick experience. For other people, it might say, this is my self-care time and we are elongating this as much as possible. Now, what I'll say is that it's going to feel silly until you try it and it feels good, Mm -hmm. you know? So let yourself feel silly for two minutes because who's going to judge you? It's just you. And you might not be the nicest lady when it comes to talking to yourself, you know, like (laughs) that, Oh, you know, I'm not a nice lady when it comes to talking to myself. (laughs) That is the truth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's an ongoing struggle, but say, you know what? I'm worthy of being seduced, even if it's self seduction or, This extra five minutes is totally worth it because I'm going to feel so much more relaxed at the end of this, Um, or I am going to have a more pleasurable experience. And what we think about then is goal-focused sex versus experiential or pleasure-focused sex. And goal-focused sex or goal-focused masturbation says, what is the fastest, most efficient route I can get from A to B? And you don't actually consider what the journey from A to B is. It's usually just trying to get to that thing over there. Now, experiential sex, pleasure-focused sex requires us to say, how can I maximize the opportunities for me to feel good, whether that's physically, psychologically, emotionally, whatever. And uh, that then says, regardless of what the goal of this whole situation is, whatever I'm moving towards at the end, the thing I actually want to focus on is being here and having a good time. So what I'll recommend for people who've have a really hard time just doing that kind of self-seduction, set little timers. So set a timer for two minutes and say, for two minutes, I'm going to stimulate my own nipples. For two minutes, I am going to tease my body, but I'm not going to touch my genitals. For five minutes, I'm going to do this thing, right? And then I can set a timer for seven minutes. I'm not allowed to reach orgasm before those seven minutes, right? And so you then get the opportunity to say, what happens when I say I need to take the time? Not just let's get this done as quickly as possible, but let me take the time to see what this could be like. 
And then, yeah, maybe the other 70% of the time you're like, we're just, Mm -hmm. you know, getting it done. (laughs) I've got 15 minutes before this next call and I just like want to have a real quick (laughs) orgasm Mm -hmm. and that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but also let's give ourselves the same amount of time energy focus that we might give to a partner or hope that a partner would give to us because that's going to teach us more about the things that we really like and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Those were such good tips. Mm -hmm. I loved that. And (laughs) it's so true that it feels silly until it feels good. Mm -hmm. You get wrapped up in your mind about like, how is this going to look? But it's like, look to who? Who's watching? Besides my fear of dead relatives watching. Um, That's... (laughs) My only fear, but it's besides like, them, besides nobody's watching, them. <laughs> you know, and it's like, if it does feel good, then you've just made your practice so much better and bigger. And it's like you, you still won, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So those were really good, really fun tips. And the whole, like, don't reach orgasm for seven minutes. That would be like a fun edging type of tool. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah. it's layering, layering now. <laughs> just layering. <laughs> I love strategies that you can adapt to a lot of different situations because then you're like, I've got this timer exercise and you can use that for so many things. You can use it for my partner has performance anxiety and they feel like they can't last long enough. doesn't matter. We've got a timer for two minutes. We only have to focus on these two minutes here, right? We can have it be, I have experienced trauma and I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about the situation. Two minute timer. Let's just see where we feel for two minutes. Does that feel okay? We can reset the timer for two more minutes. So when we realize that we're not required to just have this like freeform sexual experience where we kind of figure things out as we go, we can give ourselves a little bit of structure. And sometimes having that structure lets us play even more. Mm -hmm. Do you have strategies for starting to talk about your turn-ons with a partner and also in that talk about your turn-offs? Mm-hmm. Mm, two kind of different things, um, especially if one of them is maybe in response to something that a partner is doing or has been doing. So no matter what, I recommend taking that conversation outside of the bedroom. So create a cozy context that's going to feel pretty nice and neutral and when you're going to feel connected. So you don't need to say like, hey, I would like to turn talk about my turn-ons and turn-offs at dinner at 7 p.m. But we might say, hey, let's take some time to check in about our sex life. I want to make sure that we're totally focused. So how are you going to feel like Thursday after work? What would that be like for you? And then you can have an activity that you do together. Folding laundry is great. Gives you something to do with your hands and yeah. gives you a, something to look at. If That's you're a feeling really surprised. Good I always end up folding laundry if I'm in a fight. <laughs> and so yeah. I feel like I always go to cleaning. Like my last partner was like, you always end up cleaning when we're fighting. I'm like, cause it helps. So yes, I totally relate to that tip. <laughs> yeah. Having an activity makes such a big difference, especially if you know you're bringing a high amount of anxiety into mm-hmm, a situation. Mm-hmm. So folding laundry. Um, making a meal together or even eating a meal together, right? You take a sip of your water and, oh, I need a minute to process before I answer, right? But I'm just swallowing. It's fine. (laughs) We can talk about taking a walk. We're moving in parallel together, right? We are like literally on the same path and that helps just train our brain. You're okay to be here, right? We can keep moving. Plus the actual physical forward motion uh, helps us work out some of that anxious, stressed energy. So give yourself an activity to do if you know you're bringing in a lot of stress or if you know that your partner might be bringing in a lot of stress. And then 
open it up with something, you know, more exploratory, more playful. So you can get the Spicer app, which is by the same company that makes, we should try it. This is like not non-spawn on my part. I do, I'm not paid by these people. I just talk about this app all the time, but um, the Spicer app is really cool because it gives you just little cards basically. So you can like thumbs up, thumbs down things, and you can anonymously pair up with a partner. So you don't have to make an account. It just like pairs you together. And then you can say, oh, hey, you match on these three things. Maybe you do five of those as kind of a warm up and use that to jumpstart your conversation, you know, and say, I've been thinking a lot about what helps me feel really good and connected with my body and feel ready and excited for a sexual experience. And these are two things that I thought of. What are some things that help you feel that way? Right. Mm -hmm. So we're having it be a reciprocal conversation. So dedicated context, you have an activity, start with an activity um, or, you know, like start with like a game or an opener Mm -hmm. and then you want it to be reciprocal from there, then say what I noticed helps me not feel that way. What's helping me feel more disconnected is when I think about how our dishes are totally overflowing from the sink and it's really overwhelming. Or, you know, if I've had a really long day at work, that just doesn't do it for me. I like can't get the work stuff out of my head. I think I might be a morning sex person, right? Or I might be a weekend sex person. And so we can think about what those situations are for us and float them forward gently. And then again, we're turning back to that reciprocity. So what are some of the things that, you know, are hitting the brakes a little bit more Mm -hmm. for you. Um, And when we give people the opportunity to talk about that or think about that, that can be kind of a game changer because we're opening up a line of communication that we may have not had with our Mm -hmm. partner before. The other thing is that when we create the opportunity to say, these are my turn offs, and maybe it's not something about you specifically, it's contextual that can then depressurize the situation. Mm -hmm. Now, if the turnoff is like, you haven't flossed your teeth in three weeks. It's kind of driving me nuts, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? You know, find a playful way to float that. I'm thinking a lot about <laughs> dental hygiene lately. And so one of the things that I'm thinking about is like, maybe we floss each morning together. You know, we floss every night together and then we can make out for five minutes. Um, <laughs> and so there are some ways that you can kind of float those topics without mm-hmm. being like, you're nasty. <laughs> yeah, you're slowly killing me with all of this, right? So we don't need to bring meanness into the conversation, especially because when it comes to sex, people are just usually pretty delicate peaches to begin Mm -hmm. with. Um, Mm -hmm. And so approaching that with compassion and that same kind of delicacy that we would maybe want somebody to approach it with us. I love all of those like phrasings and that way of coming about it because it feels a lot more like how can I make this better for you and how can I support you in this while also supporting myself as opposed to like you're doing this wrong? Because you're right, every, like most people are very delicate mm-hmm. when it comes to being criticized. Yeah, but that's so true. It's like we also don't open up an opportunity to talk about what turned you off. You know, we always mm-hmm. like what works, what's going to work better next time. We don't talk about like, okay, but what didn't work? So mm-hmm. having those conversations is equally as important And I like floating it out there gently when you keep saying that. That's perfect. (laughs) So what happens if you are like in Mm -hmm. the moment and your partner does something that totally turns you off? Is there a way to approach it in the moment that isn't going and you want to continue things past that moment? Yeah. What can you do? 
Yeah. So one example is like, you know, someone calls you daddy during sex and you're like, oh, didn't love that. Didn't love that. Fun experiment, but Mm -hmm. didn't love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can literally just say, ooh, didn't love that. Let's use this word instead. You know, I'm, I'm liking that we're having like a dominance feeling right now, but that word just isn't doing it for me. Can we try sir instead? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can give an opportunity for like a slight adjustment. If there's a slight adjustment, um, if it's firm boundary that someone has approached, then, you know, take a minute. And this is a great opportunity to have a safe word or a safe gesture. It's not just for kinky sex. It's anytime you want sex to like quickly be paused or quickly be stopped entirely and say, well, that kind of took me out of the moment. I need a sip of water and can we start back and not bring that type of touch back in, right? I don't want you to touch the back of my neck. That's not a good feeling for me. It's always helpful to talk about those things before sex ever starts. But the reality Mm -hmm. is that sometimes we don't know until something happens. right? Uh, And so we have to kind of go with the flow. That doesn't mean we need to just like, grin and bear it. That is, that doesn't make for a pleasurable sexual experience. We might also maybe not have the words for it until after sex is over. And so that's when having like a post-sex check-in can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, when you called me daddy, I was kind of like, do I like it? Do I not like it? I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I think I've settled on, I don't like it. So in the future, could we not? Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of different levels here, right? Is it like immediately like, oh no, that didn't work or, oh no, you've hit a boundary, that's going to require a different response than like, huh, not totally sure how I feel about that one just yet. The most common turnoff I feel like I get in the moment is when one person feels like it's going to be more of like a play play on dominant submissive type of like sex. And I'm just like, but I wanted romance. And then like Mm -hmm. they slap your ass one too many times and you're like, (laughs) I want you to just cup me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of a turnoff that I'll experience where sometimes I'm obsessed with that. And then other times it's like, turns me off in the moment. And also, right, where you just said, you know, there are times when I really love this. Mm -hmm. That's when really and truly starting a sexual experience, you've been making out for a while, things are getting steamy. How do you want to be fucked? Mm -hmm. It's a turn on question. And it gives somebody an opportunity to say, I want soft and sensual sex, or I want you to fuck me really hard and it's okay for you to pull my hair tonight, right? Like that gives you a quick opportunity to say, this is specifically what I want. Is that cool with you? What do you want? And we can move from there. It doesn't need to be like, here's my specific list of things that I am into tonight and what I'm not into. We can make it playful. We can make it performative while also still being true to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And also if your partner is like, oh, I, I felt like actually this was really lovey. Like, you know, this this is, feels really lovey for me because we all have different things that are going to feel kinky and not kinky to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can say, when you slap my ass, I think we need to do like a two slap limit per sexual experience. Otherwise, it kind of puts it to a level that I want to make sure we talk about a lot in advance. Um, but we have two allocated slaps per, <laughs> per time we're having sex. Um, and that's going to still feel pretty <laughs> neutral for me, right? Uh-huh. And so we can think about that. Like, what is our line for what feels like romantic and soft mm-hmm. for us? Uh, and also types of slap, right? Like yeah. a gentle little tap is not the same as like getting flogged with an acrylic paddle. There are different levels there. Uh, and so really thinking about any time 
there is some type of pain play or like breath restriction play or movement restriction play, we really need to talk about boundaries there and what everyone's kind of line is for like, this is my generally acceptable in pretty much every sexual context bucket. And here's my, we need to talk about this a little bit more before so I can just be emotionally prepared bucket Mm -hmm. or even physically prepared. Right. I think that was the best question you could ask. How do you want to be fucked? Yeah. (laughs) That's like, oh my God. You're still in the moment, but you get a clear answer of what the other person is hoping to get out of this Mm -hmm. experience. That is so perfect. Well done. And and an easy answer, right? And I know there are Mm -hmm. going to be people who are like, I do not use that word to refer to sex, right? So you know, find the phrasing that works for you. Mm-hmm. But also you can kind of like put on a little bit of a persona during sex. It can still be you, but more of an amped up playful version of you that maybe isn't the same you that you're going to bring into every other part of your life. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of other words and none of them sound as good. How would you like to be entered? I don't know. Or if, yeah. if you're entering, but hey, yeah, that's where it gets sticky. <laughs> <laughs> you can do, how do you want me to touch you? How do you want Mm -hmm. to be touched? What do you want? Mm -hmm. How do you want this to go? Yeah. Okay. Do you want an orgasm? What's going to feel good to you? Um, And then if you're a make love person, you can say, (laughs) you know, how would you like me to make love to you tonight? (laughs) Sounds unnatural coming from me. That's not phrasing I ever use. But there are people who do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we can find the words that work best for us and also play around with different things and just see like, oh, how did it feel to say that? Nope, I didn't. I didn't love saying fuck. Uh, yeah. So we'll not do that again. You know. Yes, definitely. I'll get a little red when I say it. I'm sure. Yeah, but it's good. It's but, good practice. Yeah, I was it'll be flushing. What are your thoughts on using alcohol as a way to get turned on? Because I feel like one glass of wine, sometimes two glasses of wine. I love pre-gaming a little bit with some red wine because I feel like that makes me fun and flirty. But I also know it can get a little bit sticky if you bring in alcohol. I don't know. So what are your thoughts on using alcohol as your turn on? I get this question all the time. And the answer is that it's really complicated because it's going to depend on every single person's individual tolerance. Mm-hmm. I am a baby. Like before we got on this call, I poured myself literally one ounce of white wine because I was like, <laughs> if I drink more than this, I will be tipsy. And that's how my threshold is. Sure. So I know that for me, one glass is like, is plenty. That must be a Cassandra thing. Because yeah. <laughs> right here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that always surprises me. And then I'm like, drink some water, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so it's all going to depend on us individually. What I recommend is that if you are always using alcohol or always using pot, or always using molly or pills or whatever the substance is, right? Alcohol is a substance. So we can't just say that it's like this totally separate thing just because it's broadly legal in the United States. Mm-hmm. The reality is that it's something that's going to affect our perception. Alcohol also affects our physical ability to experience pleasure. So we've got a lot of things happening here. And if we're always turning to some type of substance to say, okay, now I can have sex there's something worth addressing. Mm -hmm. There's going to be something there. Now, if it's like, I have one glass of wine, it helps me relax my nerves a little bit and you don't feel drunk, you still feel like totally good, have one glass of wine, drink a glass of water and then start things. That way, you know, you're just 
actually taking care of your body. What I don't recommend is being drunk or having more than two drinks. Um, And again, if you're always turning to a substance or 70% of the time or more to make up a, you know, an arbitrary Mm -hmm. number, you're turning towards a substance to help you feel okay for sex. That's when, you know, it's probably worth seeking some outside support, not necessarily for substance misuse, though that could be part of it, but also just what are some of the things that you're bringing into sexual experiences that is making it challenging to go into sober. Mm -hmm. So there's a broad spectrum of things here, right? Especially with alcohol and even pot now becoming more and more ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. We have to really think about our relationship to the substance and how often we use it. What that substance also keys us into. Is it that I'm not thinking as much? Is it, you know, I feel like my boundaries drop when I use this thing? Is it, um, you know, I don't have racing thoughts. I can just kind of like let things happen. Every single one of those things can be, you know, okay or challenging and something that needs to be addressed. So knowing our reasons for using a substance, knowing how frequently we're relying on it is is going to be the question to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but always everything in moderation. Right. Perfect. I feel like that's a great answer overall because it could be, could be totally fine or you should probably pause, but either way, (laughs) just, just be conscious of Mm -hmm. the actions that you're taking to get turned on. I used to use wine a couple times when I would go have sex before my last partner and I were officially together. Sometimes I would use wine to like distance my feelings from like the sex we were about Mm -hmm. to have because we weren't officially together yet. Um, and then I told my roommate that and she's like, let's look at that <laughs> and let's address yeah. because that's troublesome. So, yeah, so I get it. <laughs> so I'm just trying to say, yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, I understand. I understand where we're coming from with that. <laughs> yeah. And like that numbing thing is something that a lot of people experience, which is why it's, it's the thing I brought up. It could yeah. be for trauma. It could be trying to like, you know, I actually have feelings for this person. I don't know if they have feelings for me. It's like things are getting kind of muddy. It could be, I have a lot of shame wrapped up around sex. I feel like the only way I can do it is if I'm under the influence of something. So knowing your reason is going to be really important. And it's great that you had a friend who was like, hey, let's Mm -hmm. like take a pause and address that Um, because that's a game changer. A lot of our friends are going to be like, yeah, relatable, get that and not actually give us any feedback on something. Yeah. Uh, Where like the substances get really challenging, just to say it, is medical providers, therapists, well-meaning people in our lives who say, oh, sex hurts, just have a glass of wine. Objectively speaking is terrible advice and sex should only ever hurt if you want it to. And if you're experiencing pain, it's worth talking with a doctor, talking with a pelvic floor physical therapist and seeing what is going on there that could be causing it. Um, Because alcohol is not a treatment for that. It's not a cure for that. Um, And and no, it's not just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal. And so we really need to focus in on that really problematic messaging that folks with vaginas get all the time. I'm thinking about when I have used alcohol to be turned on or to like help myself get in the mood was I think how I've always phrased it. And it was especially like in the beginning of my relationship that I'm in now because I don't have a ton of sexual experience outside of it. And so I always felt so awkward and uncomfortable, like in that way, like not uncomfortable with my partner, but uncomfortable with like how I'm moving my body. (laughs) And I feel like 
that's something I've been able to work on in this long-term relationship. And so I'm grateful for that. But yeah, definitely in the beginning, I was like, like, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, the first time that we had sex, we were pretty tip, not pretty, t- we were a little tipsy. Um, and it didn't go well because I was, mm-hmm. my awkwardness showed through <laughs> and neither of us, we didn't talk, we didn't communicate about it. And so we were really like using it mm-hmm. to like make it okay. And it, it didn't. So then we, we had sober learned. sex, <laughs> we had sober sex. <laughs> for a long time after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And that's really common. A lot of people experience that, but nobody wants to talk about it. And the reality is that if we think about turn-ons as the things that help you feel more connected to your body, alcohol doesn't do that. Alcohol helps you feel disconnected from your body. It basically acts as a numbing agent. I mean, alcohol is a depressant. So it's Mm -hmm. literally going to reduce our physical feelings of sensation. It's going to lower our response time. It could make it longer to reach orgasm. It can make it harder for people to self-lubricate. It can get harder for people to maintain an erection or even get an erection. So there are a lot of reasons to like not have alcohol be, Mm -hmm. you know, the tool that we use. Um, Beyond the fact that, again, you know, are we trying to cover up something that's worth talking about? Because I would bet that if you and your partner in advance have been like, feeling pretty nervous and like this is still kind of a new experience for me and you're a new partner, uh, just naming the fact that we feel nervous usually kind of dissolves the feeling Mm -hmm. because then somebody can say, thank you so much for sharing that with me. You know, I am not feeling nervous, but tell me what that looks like for you. I'll keep an eye out on it. How can I feel comfortable? How can I help you feel comfortable? Um, Or they might be like, I'm feeling pretty nervous too. It's been a long time (laughs) since I did this. So like, let's just take it really slow. You know, let's check in with each other a lot and pinky promise it is totally okay and you can have that moment to say oh I'm feeling a human emotion right now and that's often going to help you feel a lot more relaxed which can lead to more pleasure all on its own absolutely that's a safe bet because uh yeah if we had talked it absolutely would have been a million (laughs) times better but we worked through it five years later five years yeah (laughs) so I'm glad in the same category then aphrodisiac Aphrodisiacs, aphrodisiacs. Are those real? Is that a real thing? Can we use them, or are they fake? I don't know. <laughs> I've been I'm lied not a to. Doctor. I don't know. I mean, here's here's my thing. Dark chocolate, live your life. What's it gonna hurt? You know, dark chocolate makes you feel sexy. Whatever. Cinnamon, do it. I don't care. Again, when we're thinking about things that are like mind-altering substances, things that are actually going to change our behavior, that's when I think we need to take more of a look. Mm -hmm. And if we feel like I can only have sex after I've downed five raw oysters, (laughs) let's think about the context here. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) I'm on audio. Raw oysters don't do it for me, but I understand some of you appreciate it and I'm not going to yuck your yum. Yeah. But, you know, they're we have to think about that context we build for ourselves because every single person is building their own sexual context and it's being built upon what we are taught is normal. That comes from media, that comes from our families, that comes from the religious experiences we may have had growing up, the sex ed we got growing up, our friend group and what their normal experiences are. We can even think about it as being regionally focused and split down by race and by class and by things that we consider to be cultural norms. So when we think about what goes into our like full context, our little like 
construction builder block set of what helps us feel like sex is okay or good or allowed. And we say, oh, well, we have to have red wine. We have to have dark chocolate. We have to have candles. We have to have massage oil. We have to go out for oysters before, you know, anytime we're putting those like yagatas or you shoulds into a sexual situation, we're putting more pressure on it. The thing that we should actually be focusing on, the only should that exists is everybody needs to be consenting. That's just the bare minimum. And pleasure is the only thing people should be experiencing. So how can we create a context where pleasure is the center of it? Uh, That might involve red wine and massage oil and raw oysters and dark (laughs) chocolate and all of those things. But it shouldn't be the only thing, right? Mm -hmm. We should all be able to have many different contexts when we're able to access pleasure. And that might not always be our case, right? We might start with like, here's our one little piece of the pie. And then, okay, now I have two different contexts. Now I have three different contexts as we learn and get more comfortable. And as we start to come up with our own scripts. Um, but we we do really need to think about that, like messaging that we got earlier. Long story short, I'm not a doctor. Make good decisions. Yeah. <laughs> So in line with the idea of shoulds and shouldn'ts then, what are your thoughts on thinking about, fantasizing about other people or like memories, past situations, what have you to turn yourself on when you are with a partner? I mean, your fantasies are your fantasies. Like what is happening in your head isn't indicative of what you want to happen in real life. So the thing that people are really bad at knowing is that orientation is different than behavior. Behavior is different from desire. Desire is different from fantasy. And all of those things are separate little bubbles that might look like a Venn diagram. And so a lot of times what we'll get caught up in is my partner is fantasizing about somebody else, which means that they don't like me. They want to be having sex with their partner. In reality, it might be, you know, this is a memory that served me really well, or this was a context when I felt like really good and really in my body. And so we're trying to access that past context, or it could just be a fantasy for fantasy's sake, right? Like the same reason people read and write erotica. Now, that doesn't mean your partner's not going to have challenging feelings about it because a lot of us struggle with feeling self-conscious or feeling jealous. So if it does come up, for example, somebody's name slips, it's worth having an open and honest conversation about like, this is a fantasy I sometimes access. I want to be really clear. I enjoy having sex with you, but there's something about like this thing playing in my head that helps me feel relaxed and just here in my body. That might mean then you brainstorm, okay, what are some other ways that we can build that context for you, right? It could lead into a conversation. When it goes really bad is when you pull like a Netflix sex life situation and the main character in that show is sort of obsessively fantasizing about an ex that she had. Her husband finds everything she's written about it um, and they basically use it to just stew conflict over and over and over and over again throughout all of the episodes without ever actually talking about their sex life like they use it to just try to replicate or duplicate everything instead of saying who are we as people what does good sex look like for us while also saying you're allowed to have this other separate fantasy and that's okay now is the fantasy totally overriding your life 
you actually do want to be with that other person, right? You're not really feeling your partner and you're using your fantasy as an escape. That's worth examining more in a supportive Mm -hmm. environment. So there, again, with all of these things, with sex in general, there's going to be a broad spectrum of experiences. And it's just important to know what your reason is. But TLDR, fantasy and desire are two different things. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you listed all that out too, because I've felt guilty before, like fantasizing about other things when I'm masturbating, but I'm like, have a boyfriend. And, you know, it is great to make that differentiation of what do I want and I'm going to act on and what just helps me relax into a moment. And maybe, maybe this fantasy that I'm thinking about, I'm really getting turned on by like the secretiveness of it or like being out in public of it, but it doesn't really have to do that with the fact that it's not my partner. Is there anything more about turn-ons you feel like we should touch on or do you feel like we kind of covered a wide array of it all? What I would say is that if you're experiencing shame about your turn-ons, it's worth seeking support to reduce that shame because as long as you aren't hurting somebody else and you're not hurting yourself, then you're okay, right? As long as there's there's consent happening. Um, some of us are going to be turned on by things that might be really surprising to the other people in our lives. That doesn't mean it's inherently wrong. And there's a difference between something being like morally wrong, ethically wrong, or physically, hey, this could harm you. We need to talk about safety. And ew, don't like that, right? Like ew is just like a weird judgment call. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of us will grow up with those things internalized. And in my work with, you know, both students in the classroom and the anonymous questions that I get and my one-on-one work with clients, people often say, you know, this thing really works for me. Is that weird? It's like, no, five other people told me about this just in the past month. Like that's actually a really common thing. And uh, we just are really bad at talking about it. We're really bad at talking openly about sex in a way that's not performative and focused on goals and like talking about like accomplishments and achievements. So find people who are going to help you reduce the amount of shame you might be experiencing about your turn-ons and think just realistically about how they're interacting in your life. And if you feel like I have no turn-ons, then you might be ace, you might be asexual and that's totally okay. You might be somewhere on that spectrum. And also you might just need to explore what sexuality and sensuality means for you a little bit more. And there is nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for adding yes. both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, absolutely. Love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where can our listeners continue to connect with you after this episode? I am at Feminist Sex Ed on all the social media platforms, mostly Instagram, um, unless you want to hear me just shout into the void on Twitter, which is mostly (laughs) what I use that for. And you can also go to feministsexed.com to learn more about my private coaching work, my work with students, and also to read my blog and explore some of my merch. Hello. (laughs) Who's feeling a little hot and sweaty? Are you turned on, or at least you know how to get turned on now? At least you're ready. You're hot headed. Hot, hot, hot headed. Hot headed. And redded. Red. And well redded. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you so much to Cassandra for being on the episode today and being just so educational with how to address our turn ons. And thank you to our listeners tuning in if this episode just changed your heart Uh just really touched you 
physically. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Go ahead and send it to somebody else that you think could benefit from it. There's so much in this episode that yes. literally could save the world. I'm convinced. 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 And if you want to do something else for us, because you're like, oh my God, like it just doesn't feel like enough just mm-hmm. to send this to one other person. What else can I do? I love you so much. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, yeah. rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. Leave us a written review. Pretty please. It really just makes our hearts soar. Mm -hmm. If it's less than five stars, maybe don't. But um, yeah, then I won't care. (laughs) Then to be honest, keep that to yourself because that's hate (laughs) and you're spreading hate. That's harm. Yeah. (laughs) And we're not about that here. No. And if (laughs) this is the episode. Should it be a light bulb? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, that's good. Leave a light bulb in your yeah. written review if this is going to be the episode that gets you Turns there. Turns you on, man. Turns right. to turning off this <laughs> episode. Turning the fuck off now. <laughs> so all of you can fuck off, and we'll see you next week. Love you so much. Yeah. yeah.